Hey guys, this is Sean Williams, the host of the Shark Attack and Variety Bites and the owner of the Sean Williams Podcast Network. I'm hoping you guys are loving what you hear. As always, if you enjoy what you're hearing from the show, make sure that you can make sure that if you feel like it, you donate to help keep this revolution going. Just there's no real set amount, no minimum, no maximum, just whatever you feel like donating to help keep the show going. And I wanted to take this opportunity to also mention that this show also now has a voice message system. So you can actually leave voice messages for with your comments, your questions, anything that you want me to cover on either the shark attack or on variety bites. If you want to leave your thoughts or questions about wrestling, make sure that you mention that, that it's for the attack and if you got something that you want me to talk about in sports or in entertainment, make sure you mention that it's for Variety Bites. And I promise the link for the voice message will be provided in the episode description at the end end of this show. So guys, make sure make sure you donate if you like what you hear, and of course make your voice heard and leave your some leave your voice message on on this show. And because I guarantee you. It will make it a good one, make it count, because I will also have it played on the air. So make your voices heard, people, and help keep this revolution going. Blood, this is for the tears, this is for my pain and my plight. Two walked in, but only one of us is walking out of here tonight. I'm a survivor. Fight for my life. Come on, let's struggle. What is up, people? This is Variety Bites. I am yours truly, Sean Williams. Joined, of course, by my co-host, Mr. T5 himself, Travis Smith. T5, we got a lot to talk about, so let's dive right into week one of the NFL. Yes, sir. All right, you know, <clears throat> I, would, I like this one quote that uh, this radio host Jim Rome said about the Dolphins. Making fun of the Dolphins is like shooting fish in a barrel, and apparently so is playing them. Because they got lit up. I mean, it's hard to judge. I mean, you can never judge a team after the week one, but I'm already ready. I'm already at the point where I'm going to say they're one and done. I don't know what to say about uh, about the Dolphins. You you know these players have a lot of pride, but this front office, they're, yeah, they're they're tanking. <laughs> The front office had a tank on their mind while the players are out there fighting and trying to give it all. But yeah, they don't they don't have much they don't have much to work with. Yeah, it's like I've never seen an organization where it well, it's like they just don't care if this team gets any better. I mean, give me show me one example that they actually care. I think they do. 
that's why they're trying to strip the team down. But they're going about it the wrong way, though. Like, you go and trade for Josh Rosen. Okay, that's cool. That's, that means you're trying to get a better quarterback. Because Ryan Tannehill, he wasn't it. So at least you're trying to address one need. But then you turn around and you get rid of your top tackle. You get rid of one of your top defensive players and a wide receiver. So, I mean, you, you basically, like what they say, cut off your nose and spite your face. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you this, there was one highlight out of the Dolphins-Ravens game. Of course, it wasn't out of the Dolphins. It was Lamar freaking Jackson. That boy, nah, that boy hushed a lot of critics that game. Yeah, this was this was one statement I liked with that, that was said about that game. He didn't just make the Dolphins look stupid. He made every single coach that told him he should play a different position also look equally stupid. My favorite quote came from him mm-hmm. when he said, "Not not bad." When they asked him about his uh his uh game, he said, "Not bad for a running back." <laughs> yeah, that was a classic. You can't get sound bites that good, man. That was just epic. <clears throat> but um, you know, it takes a. I gotta well before I get to this one because that's gonna be painful to talk about. But seriously, it, with Atlanta. Am I the only one that thinks that Matt Ryan really has gone as far as he can go on that team? I've been said a lot of times that is his seal. And a lot of people think I'm being a hater because, you know, my team is the Saints and they are natural rivals, Atlanta. So a lot of people think I'm being a Matt Ryan hater because I'm a natural hater. No. I'm a football guy first. I've always been a football, you know, fan first. And that seems like his ceiling. Even when he's had more weapons, every time he's always had weapons and stuff, whether it be Gonzalez, Roddy White, and Julio, uh, with Michael Turner in the backfield, he's always had weapons, and that's been their ceiling. So it doesn't seem like, you know... He's going to do anything different. Like, you've seen all his tricks. You've seen his greatest hits. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not ruling out the possibility that he can get a ring. I just don't think he can get it with Atlanta. Yeah, because, like, you had the defense. Now, granted, their defense was pretty banged up last year. True. You still had offense, and offense ain't do nothing. So at least you would have had one side of the ball working. No, the other side of the ball wasn't working either. So I'm like, what? If, if anything, he probably would need a change of scenery, like uh, San Francisco maybe, with his old coach, Kyle Shanahan maybe. Mm, just saying, because like, yeah, like with Atlanta, Dan Quinn, I don't know. I, I, I seriously don't know. Like, because that Super Bowl was their best chance. When they had the Patriots on the ropes like that, that was their best chance, and they messed it up. They took their foot off the gas. That's the problem. Yep. You get, you give the Patriots an inch, 
And Tom Brady will go 10 freaking miles. And with that offense, they should have been on his neck. We'll just say neck. We're not going to say the other word. We'll say neck. They should have been on his throat. With yep. that, especially with that offense. There is no reason, no excuse. They shouldn't have came out that game without a ring. Yep. That was, that was a choke job, plain and simple. But speaking of the Patriots, and I really have I'm, it's painful for me to admit this, man. My Steelers got smoked like a Christmas ham. They got dismantled. And that I saw a couple comments saying, this is what happens when you don't have Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown. First off, to those people that say that, screw you. Because do Bell and Brown play defense? I think not. Nah, nah, see, I can kind of see where they, what they bit because a lot of those receivers weren't catching the ball. It's like they were immune to catching the ball. It's like their hands betrayed them. So I can see what they mean by missing Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown because they wouldn't have missed them passes. But at the same hand, the Steelers, yeah, that defense, I had a lot more faith in that defense from what I've seen in the preseason. Because they looked really good in the preseason, especially the linebackers. The Steelers always keep a fat stack of linebackers. It's like that neighbor that always keeps an extra extra bit of something you, you know you can go to and go, go to them for. Like, yeah, I get some sugar? Oh, sure, baby, I got a lot of sugar. That's the Steelers. They always got a stack of linebackers. Their front seven is always gangster. But for some reason... It didn't translate from the preseason to game number one. And they made the Patriots look good. Like, really postseason ready good. They look, They made the Patriots look like a complete team. On both offense and defense. Which I find frightening. But one of the big... One play that stood out to me that I had the biggest problem with... They were at... They were third and one at the Patriots' end zone, and they went for a pass. What the hell are you doing? Why didn't you run that the ball was, in? That was one of those Seattle Marshawn Lynch plays, like, what are you doing? And then even when Ben threw the pass, he overshot the ball. It's like, come on. To quote Gene Hackman in The Replacements, winners always want the ball when the game's on the line. Right, like, like this week was the first time I've ever had to think about whether to start Ben Roethlisberger on my fantasy team or not. I actually had to consider that. I was like, I got Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and Ben Roethlisberger. I'm I only sick. need two quarterbacks. <clears throat> Who's going to be the odd man out? Hmm. <laughs> I actually had to think about that. Yeah, but you know, I will, well, I, one thing I'll, one last thing I'll say about my boys is that they got Seattle this week, and if they look anywhere near as bad as they did against, against New England when they play Seattle, they got a big problem. They are, because it's not going to get any better, I mean, any worse, because, uh, I mean, when, yeah, all right, it's not going to get any better, because Seattle just got clowned. So, yeah. Uh, 
If you ain't right, if you wasn't right yet, you better get right now. Yep. Cause right, cause right now, sadly, there's going to be two people that I bet you people are looking at as for what's the problem with the the Steelers. One is going to be Big Ben, and the other is going to be Tomlin. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm blaming both of them. I'm just saying general consensus. They're gonna, the crop. They're gonna be in the crosshairs. Right. That's like you just got rid of the main two. Everybody said was the problem. Oh, Le'Veon Bell wanted so much money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a problem. Oh, Antonio Brown. He was a diva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a problem. Okay. Both of them pointed at Ben Roethlisberger and the locker room culture on the way out. You just cut off two pieces that you thought was a cancer in the locker room. If stuff don't get better, then guess what? Everybody going to look at the other two things, the head coach and the quarterback. Yep, which, because uh, remember, NFL, not for long, or the other law of the jungle in the NFL, what have you done lately? Exactly. <laughs> but speaking of Le'Veon Bell, I got one question for him. How's New York working out for you? And they both their teams suck, but in the case of the Jets, that was a total choke job. At least the Jets have an actual excuse, and they had they had a little bit of potential. They just fallen the hard times way too early in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they got no QB. <laughs> we were talking about with Matt Ryan, talking about a team that needs a quarterback right now. They already had, like, they were already lacking in the skill skill position. They lose one of their top wide receivers. They trade for another one, which is cool, because you can use another receiver. You can mm-hmm. always use uh, more receivers, especially when you have a young quarterback. But then you, you, you lose the quarterback. Yep. It, they are definitely on hard times, but <laughs> the other New York team, they just look god off. <laughs> Like the song, like the song lyric, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. Yeah, in the case of the Giants, terrible. The Giants have, everybody knew this ahead of time, like, not to expect much from the Giants. Everybody saw this in preseason. Your offensive line was trash. You, you don't have much at wide receiver because you got rid of your best wide receiver. And your defense is trash because you got rid of most of your defense. So, what is what was anybody expected? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this: with that Dallas New York game, is that as woeful as the Giants were? And yeah, Big Zeke or Big Zeke was back on the field, but it was Dak Prescott that was really lighting it up. My whole deal is, like, I don't want to be the person to take anything away from Dak Prescott. I like him as a person and as a player, and as much as everybody craps on Dallas, I like him as a person and a player. But the thing is, like, I'm going to have to ask everybody to pump their brakes. They beat the Giants. That's like beating the little sisters of the poor. That's like putting, that's like putting, uh, what? That's like putting the replacements against a bunch of Girl Scouts. Yeah, exactly. 
I'm glad you said that because sorry, I'm glad you said that because that's the same thing that I thought with um with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, just like with what you're saying about the Cowboys. Let's see how they do against a legit contender team. And you know, as good as Dallas looked, we've been down this road before where they look good, but then come playoffs, it's a completely different story. Yeah, let me see Dallas go against the Colts again. Uh, the Colts, man, that game last year, that that caught everybody off guard. The Colts mollywopped Dallas. Everybody was like, who the hell is they? Who, what the hell? <laughs> everybody was riding that wave like a was riding that wave like uh, Patrick Swayze the point break. Everybody was riding that Dallas wave. Next thing you know, the Colts came in and shut that thing down. Shut the beach down. You know, that some would call what happened to Dallas in that game a slap in the face of reality. To me, that was more like a steel-toed boot to the testicles. Pretty much. But... I'll tell you one game that I thought was the game of the week for me, and I know you'll like this because it involves your boys. I like the Texans and the Saints. That, to me, was the game of the week. I can't disagree with you on that. <laughs> that game, ooh, man. We say here in New Orleans, you got to have your blood pressure medicine when you watch the Saints. Either that or a stiff drink because... You, oh man, yo, you gonna go through a range of emotions watching them. If it's not a total blowout or whatever, you're gonna go through a range of emotions. They're gonna do it to you. And that game right there was no, I mean, it was it was prime example of of, of, of a Saints game. For for those who don't get to watch them every Sunday, that right there is what we go through every week. <laughs> yeah, but and you know at the same time, I mean. I've always said that the Saints have always been a consistent team, which has always been what I respected about them. But, you know, the Texans, they even though they lost, they're no slouch team either. They're somebody to look out for. See, that's why, I, man, watching as much as I was, you know, on my Saints, you know, on my Saints fandom, watching Deshaun Watson do his thing was a work of beauty. Like I said, I'm a football fan first. Watching that, you get you appreciate stuff like you like, man, that pass was or man, that run was my I can't believe he did that. That's what I was going through watching that. I was like, as much as I wanted to hate on that dude, I was like, wow, he did that. That run was my God. You could you could sit back and that's kinda like the Patriots game from last year. That Patriots game was his coming out part. Even yep. though he lost, he was going what for what with the GOAT. Yeah, but you know, um, a couple of, well, other blunders in the NFL in week one. The Redskins looked like they were a different team until they remembered that there were, or forgot that there was a second half to go and then the Eagles tramp, tramped them into the ground. But also, if you listen real carefully in Cleveland, you could have heard a loud thud, which ended up being the Browns falling flat on their face. No, I have a lot of mixed emotions about that Cleveland thing. Because 
as much as I was one of those people that were like, wow, the Browns are finally getting it together. I didn't go past that. I didn't start putting them in the Super Bowl. I didn't start putting them on top of the, in the, the AFC North. I just said, wow, they're finally getting the organization together. Cool, and I left it at that. It was the media that started going AP overboard and super hyping them up so they had something to talk about. And then when they turn around and they lose, and I mean really lose this first game, now they want to sit here and backtrack and, well, not so much backtrack, they want to point the finger at the Browns and the Browns fans. I'm like, whoa, whoa, time out. Y'all was the one riding that surfboard. Don't go sit there. Y'all was on top of the van riding like a surfboard. Don't pretend like y'all wasn't. You know, when, look, all I thought with the Browns was that they made a lot of good moves and probably some of the best they've made in years. I wasn't one, like you, I wasn't one of those that was thinking they're Super Bowl bound or they're going to win it all, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's like I said to you, uh, is that first-year coach and second-year QB, what you expect was going to happen? Now, given, I didn't think that they would get stomped into the ground like they did against the Titans, but I didn't expect them to win either. Like, the, the Titans are a more established team. They already have, they've already, they have a lot of veterans, a lot of, not that many young players. They have a good mix, you know, and they have established leadership. Freddie Kitch is a first-year dude that's never been a coach on any other level except for coordinator and stuff. And then you got Baker Mayfield who's going into his second season. He's still young. He's a good leader, don't get me wrong. He has all the potential, and you can see it not only in his play, but also the way he talks. So, it's, they're still a young, super young team. The, the, the quarterback has more, like say, validity than the actual coach. So, I mean, they still got to learn how to win. I've heard that a lot. You know, growing up watching football, the teams have to learn, young teams have to learn how to win. This is one of those teams that have to learn how to win. Yeah, because when's the last time Cleveland knew how to win? Bernie? Bernie Kozar? <laughs> it's been a long time. Cleveland teams? Yeah. But, you know, um, oh, one, one other thing, because we're going to transition to, of course, talking about Antonio Crybaby Brown, but <laughs> the Raiders winning that game against the Broncos, that to me was a statement maker for them. That was basically their way of saying to A.B., screw you, we don't need you. Of course, Raider Nation was pretty vocal on how they felt. Of course, they didn't say screw you. They said a completely different word and were not, were not censoring themselves when they said it. Uh, I 100% uh, feel for the Raiders. And kind of sort of. The Raiders more than John Gruden because... I understand why, because he had, because Thorny's an offensive guy, and he wanted to make a statement. My thing is, you 
trade away two players who everybody says were good guys, great part of the locker room, great teammates, etc., etc. And you trade them away talking about you're trying to change the locker room culture. Yet, you bring in Antonio Brown. How much sense does that make? That's like, uh, uh, I don't want this, I don't want struck through, but I'll take this cancer though. You know, Stephen A. Smith on first take used one word to describe the whole thing of what A.B. did to them. Betrayal. I've heard more conspiracy theories about this than I've had, that I've heard from Game of Thrones fans, that I've heard from Avengers fans. I've heard so many conspiracy theories. <laughs> I'm like, part of it has the validity, and part of it was like, Man, y'all need to chill out with this. Yeah. I've heard some stuff. The like he used the he used the Raiders as just the out to get the to get the uh the New England. Like New England was the whole end game the whole time. I was like, Really? Then I thought, Really? <laughs> there is Look, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I've heard so many conspiracy theories about that, and I just got to say, enough. Look, what sense does it make that the fact that the guy threw, walked away from, from a guaranteed $30 million, and how he brags on social media, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Uh, no, you're not, because now that guaranteed $30 million, if you want that now... You have to actually earn it. You actually have to be a good soldier and a team player. Something that thus far we've seen he's incapable of being. But see, that's the part of the conspiracy theory. I don't get it. Like I said, I don't get, get, get it because, you know, he gave up so much guaranteed money. But the trash baggery, he's sitting there making it seem like he was held hostage by the Raiders. When the Raiders and the Raiders players and front office did nothing but welcome him with open arms. They gave him so much rope. They gave him so much leash. And he trash bagged his way the whole time. Okay, now he's gone. Now he's over in the wing. A winning organization. He knows he can't do none of that crap that he did in Pittsburgh. None of that crap he did in Oakland. None of that's going to fly. And everybody knows. If you can't win in New England, you can't win nowhere. So, I'm like, his next stop will probably be the XFL if he can't win in New England. Or if he can't, you know, stick around. So, it would behoove him. It almost makes it seem like it's pretty, you know... Like, he did it on purpose. That's why a lot of these conspiracy theories almost have a little validity to them. Because he has to know, if he's going in New England, he can't do none of that other stuff there. So all of a sudden, if he becomes, like, upstanding citizen and jump, everybody's to be like, wow, where the hell was this Antonio Brown at the whole time? Yeah, and you know, 
And, of course, there's the new lawsuit that's thrown against him. And, you know, there was a legal expert talking, because I know you and I talked about this. A legal expert was saying on why this was a civil suit instead of a criminal, instead of full-on pressing charges. The police could always, could have always said that there's not there wasn't enough evidence to move with a criminal trial, but so the civil suit would have been her only option. But... I'm not going to say that she's telling the truth, and I'm not going to say she's lying. All I'm saying is I'm waiting to see the facts come into all the facts come into play. However, I will say that if it is legit and she is telling the truth, he's toast. Yeah, like he's this is definitely the nail in the coffin. If it is, if it comes out that anything she said is a fact, that's go that's definitely going to be bad on him. That's why I'm waiting for the, the, the facts to come out because it just, like, right off the bat, it kind of seems like a money grab. I hate to be that dude, but it does seem kind of, like, odd. All of a sudden, she comes out and she's in his, like, on top. Like, like you said, you have to, the burden of proof would, be, have to, would have to be on her to provide proof. Any of this happened in a criminal case. In a civil case, on the other hand, there's a lot of other factors that come into play. But the thing about it is it still seems kind of sketchy that she's going after punitive damages instead of trying to lock his ass up. Because you can do both. True. But, yeah, I mean, if it if any of it comes out true, the Pats don't have... They, Hey, they can cut them. What's nine million to them? Nothing at all. Just dropping the bucket, and then the machine keeps on moving. But here's where it'll be worse. If any of it comes out to be true, and the Pats do cut them, no team is gonna touch them. Oh no! Uh uh-uh. uh. It's one thing if this it's never popped up, and the Pats cut them for whatever reason then he may get another chance with another team. Because they're teams that, 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 that roll like that. They're desperate. Teams roll like that. But if they cut him because of the case, like the case starts to look really bad, stuff starts to come out, and you get witnesses and other evidence, yeah, he's done. That's right. Yeah, because it'd be one thing if the Pats just cut him for whatever reason, like you had said. But they cut him because of a scandal like this. Yeah, he is basically going to – no team will touch him with a 10-foot pole. He'd have a better chance of the Patriots get, signing Greg Hardy before any other team would touch Antonio Brown with this. Right. They've, they've had some players that have been excommunicado because of some very trash baggery stuff they've done. And he'd be another he'd be another name on that list. Yeah, you think the Pats want any more bad press? I don't think so. No. But um you know, Tony Dungy had some choice words about A B saying in the long run he thinks he'll be the big loser in all this. I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with the one because Tony Dungy has a lot of years of experience under his belt, he knows he knows something. So, 
And then sitting back myself and looking at the whole thing, I, I wouldn't disagree with him. Yeah. And, you know, um, something else I caught Stephen A. Smith talking about now. I usually kind of brush off most of the stuff he says or doesn't or ignore it. One of the things I respect about the guy is he's a Steeler boy. And he called, he said that Antonio Brown has displayed selfishness on levels that we have never seen before. And he even called him worse than Terrell Owens. And that's a lot, too, because T.O. did, man, T.O. took a hand grenade to Philly, but at the same time, he played. He played his tail off, too. Yeah, so, that's that's but, true. But Antonio Brown, he took a hand grenade to that to that offense, and I mean, not the, just the offense, but the whole team. But the thing about it was, when he was good, there was no problem. Everything was, was hunky-dory. Everything was rainbows and sunshine. But once that team started losing, that's when everything became a problem. Well, Antonio Brown's a problem. Antonio Brown's this. I said, Steelers were all fine and dandy when he was doing all that other stuff. That's when you should have noticed you had a problem. Yep. But, um, yeah, I mean, well, We'll see what happens. Oh, but I'll tell you this much. If you thought the Dolphins versus Baltimore was bad, Patriots and the Dolphins this weekend is going to be a bloodbath. Oh, my goodness. If, you're, if, you, if, the, if the, the Dolphins have any family members, they do not need to watch this game. Yeah, it's like, here's what they'll be wearing. See you at the morgue. Nah, it's going to be like the one... Uh, JR is going to be that one Jim Ross soundbite. Damn it, that man's got a family! <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, let's make up one other point clear. And you and I also talked about this, is that Antonio Brown on the Patriots, he's an added feature. But they are a good team. They are a championship team with or without him. He was an added feature, not a necessity. 100% is like, like if you seen that, that Steelers-Patriots game, they didn't need Antonio Brown. Mm-mm. They, that would have been, been like whipped cream on top of, on top of a double milkshake. That would have been, mm, this is good, let's make it better. That's oh. basically what that would have been. Antonio Brown on the Patriots, you you may not know some of the names at wide receiver or whatever, but they're good. Yeah. Running back. As always, they're stacked at running back. They got about three or four dudes that can run the rock, that can fill the field with the Patriots do on offense. You protect Tom Brady and you got T B twelve back there, you're good. But they're going to say, you know what? Let's go add Antonio Brown, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Oh, hell, come on, man. Basically, you you had one analogy for it. Mine is that basically you already had a bonfire going. 
Antonio Brown's basically tossing the can of gasoline. I mean, you just got Josh Gordon back. That dude, you know, has had his problems. Mm-hmm. But when he's, they have a phrase, when he's, he's hell when he's well. When that dude is well and everything's clicking, the boy can ball. I remember when he was with Cleveland and he came back off of his suspension and the first week against Atlanta, he lit them up. Like, off the bus. Lit them up. I'm like, how many practices did this dude have? Was he reading the playbook in rehab? How the hell? And he came out there and lit them up. You know, it's almost like with uh, Golden State with Draymond Green. Yeah, he's an a-hole, but he's their a-hole. He, at least he delivers when it counts. Right. But, yeah, I imagine I imagine the Dolphins and Patriots this weekend is going to be an absolute massacre. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah, my advice to them, go home, beat the traffic. At least win and you can win that. And uh, thanks to the handy-dandy Bleacher Report, uh, it said that uh, one of the Dolphins' uh, DBs, it says that one of the Dolphins' DBs is seeking a trade. (laughs) Wants to get out of Dodge while he can. Basically, that's what happened with Kiko Alonso. He was seeking a trade. Next thing you know, He's on the Saints. Yep. Well, week one in the books, all I can say, and I know you'll probably feel the same way, I love this game. Oh, most definitely. And we have, and we, and we still got more to go. <laughs> yep. But, you know, so one thing that happened last weekend, jump into the entertainment bit. So, I act at the Paley Center in Beverly Hills, a friend of my dad's, hooked me up with a ticket. I actually got to watch three CW pilots. One of which was Nancy Drew. And I gotta tell you, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It kind of has a... It kind of has a Riverdale meets Veronica Mars meets Supernatural kind of thing. I can see that. Like... It has, like, the whole mystery thing, but it has supernatural elements in there, which, but I think it adds to it. But I got to say this, Scott Wolf playing Nancy Drew's father, how does this dude not age? His face still looks exactly the same as it did when he was doing Party of Five. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, man, this dude, is, he still looks fucking young. Yeah, it's like, what, does he sleep in a cryotube or something? Jesus. But, yeah, I enjoyed that one a lot. And, of course, the big one for me that was Batwoman. Now, it was cool. They um, They had a recorded message from Ruby Rose thanking us for watching and all that stuff. I gotta tell you, she really knocks it out of the park as Kate King. Yeah, that's the one they're going to have to uh, 
they're gonna have to sell me on because like with all CW uh um DC Arrowverse shows I'm a comic book dude yep so I know the stuff so you're gonna have to sell it to me oh trust <laughs> you know, me I'm already there you already got me in the door now you're gonna have to keep me there and sell it to me so I know Batwoman I know the Bat family and now you're going to have to sell it to me. And it does kind of give an explanation. I guess you could kind of call it an explanation of why Batman disappeared. There's a whole reasoning behind that that's kind of shown in the pilot. But, um, but here's the thing. We don't see the full-on costume for Batwoman. Like, we don't see the red wig and the full costume. She does put the mask on, but again, from what I've seen, I like what I I'm like what I'm seeing. But then there's the third pilot that I watched, Katie Keene, the Riverdale spinoff. Thumbs down. And you know, I feel like this it's kind of a bad luck streak for Lucy Hale because she's had three shows. Or this will have been her third show on the CW. Doesn't exactly have a good track record. Because she had that one called Privileged. That died in one season. And then she had that life sentence one. That didn't last. And the reason why this one didn't work for me. It felt like Riverdale meets Sex in the City. And I hated Sex in the City. Pussycats from Riverdale to this show. But honestly, man, I felt like the character of Josie is probably the most uninteresting character out of Riverdale. And even on this show, it hasn't changed my opinion. She kind of is. Yeah, it's like, because Betty, Veronica, and Cheryl on Riverdale, they got their complexities. Like, Veronica comes off as the spoiled girl, but there's actually... But she can be kind of calculating. Betty looks like the, like, cookie-cutter kind of girl, but kind of a little bit, well, a little bit nuts. And then there's Cheryl, who's like, she's like a Swiss army knife of complexities. Yeah, Cheryl's got some, some, some issues. <laughs> she's got some issues she needs to work through. <laughs> yeah, she's basically... She's like a human roulette wheel. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> no, not even roulette wheel. 
That's more like she's a human uh, wheel of fortune wheel. Yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah, even when she was on Riverdale, the Josie character, I just could never get behind her. I mean, like she just felt like really bland. Yeah, you tried to get get behind her, and you know they had the whole parent issues and stuff. But it wasn't. I don't know. Something was missing. Yeah, like I said, there. I mean, you had like the different, the various layers with the other three mentioned. Her, she was basically one note, and not a good one. Yeah, and the and like I said in on in the pilot for Katie King, she's still one like one layer. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's like they can add, it's like it's there, but it's there. And you could do it. They just haven't done it. Yeah. So if I uh, again of the three, um, if I had to rank it in which one. Which ones I like of the two? Because I'm because Katie Keene obviously on the bottom. The only reason I would put Nancy Drew ahead of Batwoman is only because I was pleasantly surprised by Nancy Drew and didn't expect it to be as good as it was. But it's not yeah, taking had, it's not taking anything away from Batwoman though. Yeah, you were going into it thinking that yeah, Batwoman could be pretty good, and you were you know. Anticipating to see what was gonna happen, but Nancy Drew, you got caught off guard and was like, "Man, this could actually be pretty good." So now I'm sitting there thinking, "Man, I'm gonna have to actually go take a look at this now." Yep. Oh, and one other thing I'll say for Batwoman, uh, Birds of Prey alumni Rachel Scarston, she's a bit of a badass. Her villain is de- her villain character in this is definitely. Bat out of hell crazy. And that's why I like my villains. Very colorful. Yep, so definitely not disappointed with her. And it took me a bit to re- to put my finger on um, the guy that plays Kate Kane's father. Tried to p- put my finger on where I've seen him from before. And then it hit me. You've seen all the Mission Impossible movies, right? Right. Remember the villain in part two? That's the guy. What? Yeah. Given he looks older now, but... Yeah, he's, uh... Kate Kane's father in this one. Oh, man, I'm about to peep that out for real now. Yeah, so... Well, I'm... So, basically, hit the premise with his character. Since Batman's disappeared, he now runs this... Secure... This... Nap security team, basically like a security team, SWAT team kind of thing for, mm-hmm. for Gotham but, and believing that the, that Gotham can prosper with them and without the Batman. Yeah, that's kind of um, how it is in the uh, comic. But one of the, one scene that I loved when, um, Kate breaks into Wayne Enterprises, the building, and encounters uh, 
Lucius Fox's son. And when she uh, sneaks past him and gets on the computer and starts typing in the password, she goes, Bruce's password's still Alfred? You might want to change that. <laughs> but that's the crazy thing with um, how Bruce Wayne, Batman, disappeared. He even left the costume behind. Now, I wonder if they're going to do anything with Lucius Fox's son. Well, he, if, he does play a part in this. He is supposed to be one of the mains. Anybody knows, anybody knows uh, Batman, the Bad Books, you know who he is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I'm definitely sold on this one. But I can't wait to see the full costume uh, come to fruition, even though we saw it in the Elseworlds crossover. Right. And again, the one thing I definitely want to see with Batwoman, a couple crossover or two with uh, her and Supergirl. Yeah, I want to see the dynamic between her and, uh, and Kara. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I liked what I saw and the glimpses we got with uh, Elseworlds. And, you know, the court, they, they're starting to leak more trailers for um, the final season, or for the new seasons um for flash they released a teaser one i gotta tell you if there's one that i mean of course i'm curious with arrow to see how they end it but um if i one show that i probably would say i'm kind of looking forward to least and maybe it's because the season finale felt lackluster to me i'm not really looking forward to legends of tomorrow I didn't know you were going to say that. Well, I mean, look, the season before when they ended it and you had Constantine show up, it gave me something to look forward to. And, and then, but then you had, you just basically were shoving the characters of Gary and Mona down our throats. My thing with Legends of Tomorrow is about the same as with you. How, you know, the, there's a drop-off from the one season to this one. Okay, cool. With Legends of Tomorrow, you have so much... You're not tied down because it's not an actual book. So you have... You're not tied down, handcuffed to... Oh, you gotta do Green Arrow. Oh, that, you can't put that person with Green Arrow. He doesn't, they don't interact. Or you can't put that person with Flash. They don't interact. With Legends of Tomorrow, you can basically do almost anything you want, especially with the, with the DC property. So, cool. Why don't you do whatever you want with the DC property? There's so many characters. They don't have to be, like, big-name characters, but notable characters. Characters you know. You know one character up with something there? Who's a, um, who's a um, notable character? Booster Gold. The dude friggin' goes back in time all throughout the uh, DC universe. Legends of Tomorrow, what do they do? Go through time. Ding, ding, ding. It basically writes itself. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't really give me much to look forward to for a new season. Even with Constantine returning. But, um, Supergirl definitely left 
you know, I was shaky about how that that season was going, but then you pull the whole Lex Luthor move. Oh man. Yeah, that brought me back. That brought me back right there. I'm not even gonna lie. Cause I was starting to get oh like Oh god. It became a chore watching Supergirl. Like you did like you almost had to force yourself to watch it. Or you feel like a bad person. And then when they added Lex Luthor, you were like, Okay, uh, I can get behind this. And you were pleasantly surprised. You were kinda like, How the hell? John Cryer's like that's Luthor. Like, man, man, I don't know, man. And then you sat there and watched it while you were forcing yourself to watch it. <laughs> and you were pleasantly surprised. And now you're back again. You know, I think it was because when they were doing the whole, like, the whole anti-alien thing they were doing, I'm just like, you know what, I deal well enough with this, with this crap with, in real life. I watch TV to get away from this stuff. Also, I was not buying Agent Liberty as a big evil. But then when you have this whole thing that it was all part of Lex's plan and just how everything tied into it, I'm just like, they got my undivided attention. Yeah, that whole social justice stick inside of a comic book kind of turns you off a little. Mm -hmm. Because you've seen it before. Yeah. But, um, I mean... There are still elements, even with that crap, that still kept me in. I mean, I love the addition of, of Dreamer. And Brainy just cracks me up with how awkward he is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... But, I mean, like I said, the whole... How they tied everything together. And, you know, I think that was the other problem that I had with this season up until the big reveals with it. We saw Red Daughter come into fruition, but then they it, there were moments where it was like they almost forgot that she was in there. Luckily, they fixed that, but it was like some moments were like, wait, are they expecting us to forget that there's a clone of Kara out there? Yeah, I, I like when they tie things up and it comes back around. Because it just lets you know that, hey, don't be too impatient. It's coming back around. Yeah, and the other thing also, at the moment when they teased, or when they temporarily, albeit, what they kind of changed the dynamic between the Danvers sisters, and I was just like, oh, hell no. Come on, that's one of the things I like about that is the bond between those two. Don't screw that up for me. Yeah, that's one of those uh, DTM situations when mm -hmm. they're doing too much. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, John Cryer as Lex Luthor was just freaking brilliant. I, like I said, I was, I was crazy surprised. Like, at first I was kind of like, really? <laughs> and once again, I turned around and went, really? <laughs> Surprise. And now I'm like, okay, I'm here for this. Let's go. 
He won me over in that scene where Lena's telling him he's not going to give, or she's not going to give him the cure. And then he tells her, I took the cure ten minutes ago. And just, <laughs> and like, takes takes off the like blanket or whatever, revealing he was in his suit. And then screaming, let's touch my car! I was like, yes! But that, but even how like, when he was when he had that satellite, he was going to aim it at Argo because Superman was on there. I was like, holy crap. Yeah, this is like some vintage Lex Luthor type stuff. Yeah, you know, if, if they make a Superman series, you better make him a regular. Yes! I, if they, Hey, if they, if they make a Superman series and they have John Cryer on there permanently as Lex, I'm sold. I'm all full. I'm all for that. What would be the plot line? Who the hell cares? You have those two in. I'm in. It's like, do you need anything else? <laughs> you just, you just sold, you just sold everybody. You just sold it. Yep. But um. But yeah, I mean, but and the teaser that I saw for the Flash. I guess Barry gets a, or he's shown what. What's to come with this crisis? And you hear him saying, billions of lives lost. And he, from what I heard for the first episode, is that, well, him and Iris are still reeling over what happened to, with what happened to Nora. But the monitor shows up and tells Barry, because I don't think Barry even knows about the headline with the date change. So Barry is going to have to come to grips with the fact that headline's about to come into fruition. But also from what I heard is that, um, well, obviously that Oliver's de demise is going to have devastating results. Well, no kidding. How do you think Barry is going to take the death of Oliver Queen? Yeah, that's that's like his mentor slash big brother in a way. The, I love the dynamic between Oliver and Barrys. Uh, just to throw that in there, I love it. Yeah, and I mean he's that's you a, take Wendell away. Mm -hmm. The emotional, you know, the emotional toll and effect, the impact, the impact on the character. That right there makes things so. Ooh, just more interesting, more you know, meteor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Oliver is Barry's best friend, even Barry's mentor. So that's gonna just rock him to his core. But also, we've seen like hints of the future, but we know, and with the exception of Nora's timeline, which now no longer exists. We don't know what exactly happens after that headline comes to fruition. Yeah, it says Barry vanishes, but we don't we know nothing about what happens after. Right. And there's a, there's a ton of things they can do. There's a ton of things they can do with that. And I'm interested to see where they go. How they attack that. Yeah, cuz let's not forget um the big X factor, of course, is the deal Oliver made with the Monitor. His life, 
Percara and berries. And Stephen Amell's even said he thinks the best the only, the best way to probably end the saga for Oliver Queen is for him to die a hero. Yes, most definitely. Like yeah, you You can always I mean it would suck to lose Arrow, like totally, but for him to go out like a G like that. Right. And and in the way of a hero, mm-hmm. totally cool. Yeah, and you know you know how you were saying with um, Batwoman, it's got to really sell you on that one. You know, one I've given it chances, but I just can't seem to get behind it. Where do you stand on Black Lightning? Uh, I've given it a try back with Black Lightning, but it doesn't. For one, Black Lightning has never been one of my most talked about, thought about, acknowledged DC character franchises. So when it came out with, oh, we're coming out with Black Lightning, I was like, wow, cool, I've heard of him, this could be interesting, I'll give it a chance. And it doesn't really do much for me, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying, but it doesn't, it, just, it doesn't grab me the rest, of, the way the rest of the rest of the Arrowverse does. Legends, I, I mess with. Flash, of course. I'm, since Jump Street, I've been there for Flash. Mm-hmm. Arrow, a huge Oliver Queen fan. Like, I grew up on, on Green Arrow. So, of course, I was there for that. Supergirl, huge Supergirl, Super Family. I'm all for that. Black Lightning, that's something you gotta sell people on. And they didn't really sell you on it. And. I don't know what it's missing. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that because I thought, is it just me that can't get behind this show? Because, like, I've given it every chance that I can, and it just, it's not working for me. Not to mention, like, when you had both his kids end up with powers, then I'm like, okay, now you're really pushing pushing your luck with this one. The thing about it is, both of his kids do end up with powers, but you don't have, I mean, in the comic, they're still young, though. The fact that they're older and end up with comics, end up with powers, kind of throws you a little, you know? Even in, even in, uh, in, uh, Injustice, Black Lightning, his kids are younger, and they're just starting to, you know, show they have their powers. They've inherited inherited his powers. They but they're little kids though. They're not, you know, adults. Yeah, and you know, like I said, I've I've been patient, I've given it every chance I can. I just it's just not reeling me in. I mean, it's kinda like with the Netflix the Netflix shows for the on the Marvel Netflix shows. Like, of course I love Daredevil. I liked Jessica Jones. Luke Cage, I don't know, first season kind of lost me halfway through it. And Iron Fist, it took me, like, 
it's it was a struggle to get through the first half of that one. But then, like, the second season of Luke Cage, I liked that so much better than season one. Same with Iron Fist. But, and they were never exactly my favorite heroes, but Black Lightning, I've, look, I've tried and I just can't get behind it. To get back on uh, the Marvel Netflix shows for a second, I agree with you because Jessica Jones never really heard of her before. Daredevil, I grew up on Daredevil. Him, Spider-Man, Hell's Kitchen, I grew up on Daredevil. I loved so finding out he was getting his own thing, I was there for that. Luke Cage, I've heard of Luke Cage before. I've seen Luke Cage in some of these uh, other comics. I've seen, I've read The Definitors before. I've read Heroes for Hire before. Wasn't really a big Luke Cage fan, but I knew of him, so I was there for that. And the first season was kind of shaky because you were getting used to him. But the second season, way better. And then Iron Fist, I've heard of Iron Fist before. But I've never really read anything with him. You know, he's one of those side dudes, one of those little side characters or whatever. So I remember really, you know, Iron Fist. But to put them all together in the Defenders, that was lit. I loved that. I loved the Defenders. If you could just give me the Defenders instead of like the solo projects, I'd be for the, I'd be down for that. You know, I think when they did the Defenders, when they, you had Luke Cage and Jessica Jones reunited, it reminded me that how much I missed the chemistry between those two. Since in the comics, she's his wife. Right. But also, um, you saw when Iron Fist interacted with everybody else, that the character could work. And I think that's why, I think because you were still reeling from that, that's why second season of Iron Fist worked out better than that. And part of the problem I had with season one of Luke Cage was you had you had a villain with Cottonmouth, and then you and then you offed him in halfway through the season. And you couldn't make up your mind on what villain to have in season one. That to me was irritating. Yeah, like, I like, I love the dynamic between the Defenders, especially Luke Cage and Iron Fist. And, uh, like I said, they're all street-level New York superheroes that you don't really, they don't really get the pub that the Avengers, the Spider-Man, some of these other cats get. So, you, you gotta either A, do your homework, or B, you gotta sit there and um, enjoy it for what it is. And I loved it. You know? So, like I said, they sold it to me, though. And that's what was the difference between that and Black Lightning. You gotta sell it to me. Yeah. You gotta sprinkle in some more DC nods or, you know, this, that, and other. You gotta sell it to me. Yeah, but you know what? We we almost forgot one other Marvel show, even though it wasn't part of the Defenders, but still, to me, I was sold on it from the get-go. The Punisher. Ooh, do you really need to... Does anybody really need to sell you The Punisher? No. It's like... <laughs> does anybody really need to sell The Punisher? All you gotta do is show the skull 
And that's a wrap. And we're all here for that. And then the thing about it was, it was actually good. And you were like, see, I knew it was good. I knew it was going to be good. I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> and Man, yeah. it was you know, when you talk, you know how we talked about with uh, Josie and Riverdale, how there's no, not enough layers to her? They added layers to the character of Frank Castle and the Punisher that he doesn't exactly enjoy being the Punisher. Like, he, like, that there's a lot of, like, trauma and just, like I said, there's a lot of meat to the bone for that character. Frank Castle's always had these layers. Some people just think, oh, man, he's a merc, he's a mercenary, oh, he's a tough guy, he's a vigilante, blah, blah, blah. No, Frank Castle has layers to him. If you read the comic, if you follow that, that there are so many much more layers than him, just the, 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 the tough guy with the gun and vigilante. There's so much more to that. There's so much more to Frank as the Punisher. Yeah, I mean... Why he does what he does. Does he actually enjoy doing what he does? His interaction with the other characters in the MCU aside, I mean, not just MCU, but in in Marvel Comics aside, the way he he goes about it. Right. I mean, even in season two, like the start of it, he's trying to actually get back on with his life. He's trying to not be that guy anymore. But it's like no matter how like no matter how much how hard he tries, it's always that's it's always gonna come creeping back. Like as much as as much as the first Punisher movie gets a lot of jokes and stuff. Dolph Lundgren, as the publisher, even had some layers to that. If you watch the movie back again, in the flashback he has, and in those times he was by himself, you could actually see that he had some layers to him. Frank Castle. Yeah, and you know, honestly, with the Punisher series, I haven't enjoyed watching the Punisher in action that much since the Thomas Jane one. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah, even though it had absolutely nothing, I mean, it kind of missed a lot of the origin stuff for uh, Frank Castle in that movie because he had more than one kid, but in the movie he only had one. And there was never a such thing. The Saint family was never in the in the comics. But still, you're watching that movie, and you're so invested in it, you feel bad for the guy. Right. I mean, like, you lose like, a lot of, a lot of comic book characters lose people and stuff, but it doesn't do what it did to him. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't affect, it doesn't affect them the way it affected him. It's like you see the guy, you're seeing him in the movie walking and talking. It's like you're seeing a walking ghost. You're seeing a guy who literally has nothing left to lose. 
and the end part where after he takes out the saints and he loads a gun and he looks like he's about to, he puts it under his chin like he's about to pull the trigger. I'm so invested in that, I'm just shaking my head like, oh God, Frank, no, don't do it. Right, like you, you, you start, you see how, what this dude goes through on a daily basis almost. Yeah. It's, it's like Batman meets Riggs from um, Lethal Weapon, almost. Yeah, it's like a dude that's got, he literally has nothing to live for. And uh, I wish I could, I wish I could say there were some redeeming qualities with that Punisher Warzone movie, but there really weren't. I mean, am I the only one that actually saw that monstrosity? I saw it, but I wasn't, you know. I don't, know, I don't know how I feel about it. I didn't feel about it as much as I did the, um, the, the rest of them. I didn't buy the whole him shooting an undercover agent. that Because I thought, Frank Castle doesn't make mistakes like that. Like, he'll, he'll go after somebody, but he won't. He, doesn't, he hasn't slipped up to where he kills somebody. He knows what when he take he knows what he's pointing the pointing the gun at when he pulls the trigger. He knows what he's taking out. He doesn't make he doesn't make mistakes like that. It almost reminded me of Blade Trinity when he shot a when he shot a vamp what he thought was a vampire and turned out it was one of one of their familiars. I was like Blade wouldn't make that kind of mistake. Because he said you can tell a vampire by the way they move, the way they sound, the way they smell. He doesn't make mistakes like that, and that's why that one bothered me in Punisher Warzone. Right. But, um, although I did, you know, I got a kick out of the whole origin thing for Jigsaw in that one. But after that, everything went to hell. Yeah, because didn't get too many, um... Uh, origin stories from the villains. Right. You didn't, get, you didn't get too much. You didn't get too much of the villains in in uh, the other movies, the other uh, Punisher movies. And you didn't get too much. Um. Yeah, from from the, uh, the other Punisher movies, you didn't get too much. No. One thing I'll give credit, um, Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, apparently. He's not backing off of the idea of bringing back Daredevil. Which, hey, if it includes him as Kingpin, I got no problem with that. I'm glad he isn't, because if there was some way that he could bring either Daredevil or the Defenders back, and their villain would be Kingpin, I'd be for that. I'd all be all for that. Oh, I agree with that one. And honestly, I don't want to see anybody else play Daredevil other than Charlie Cox. He is so good. And, you know, the other reason why I want to see a return for Daredevil? I want to see Bullseye in the Bullseye costume. Dude, I, was gonna, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to mention Bullseye. I was like, I want Bullseye. 
Seriously, the guy that played Bullseye, he nailed it. I was just like, now that is Bullseye. I was like, dude, give me, I was like, give me Bullseye. I was like, knew he's gonna say, watch he's gonna say Bullseye. Bam! Well, can you blame me? Nope. But, you know, what I have loved with the Daredevil series is ha- the whole dynamic with both the Kingpin and Daredevil. They're, they're like, for Hell's Kitchen, they're like two sides of the coin. somehow you'll get out. When you do, I'll be waiting. Because he knows. He, he, he's all about justice and on top of being a lawyer. So he knows that the kingpin is going to snake his way out somehow. He doesn't know how, but he knows he, 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 it may happen. And he's like, you know what? I'll be here. Do what you got to do. I'll be here. You know, even their version of Electra in the nothing not not gonna dump on Jennifer Garner for obvious reasons, but even their version of Electra was better. It's is like I think uh, with the Netflix the Marvel Netflix shows, they take they took a lot more time and care with the characters. I would agree with that. And like you, I I knew absolutely nothing about Jessica Jones. But when I watched it, you know, honestly, if they had, if you had gotten any other girl to play Jessica Jones, it would not have worked as well. Dude, she is so good. Yeah, she just knocked it out of the park. Like, you bring her back, I'm all for it. But um while talking about movies, so It Chapter 2 came out this past weekend. T5, I know you're a Stephen King guy. Did you see it? Bruh, this movie right here, man, like I said before, I'm, that old, the, the original It was my jam. The book was good because my, my best friend lived down the street. His mom, his mom was hardcore Stephen King fan. She had, like, all the books. So we're hanging out down the street. We're all playing video games and watching TV. I'm reading, you know, looking who went through some of the books because I'm like, I don't have none of these at all. My parents aren't Stephen King nuts. I gotta, I'm sitting there reading books and stuff. So, like, the original Stephen King, Tim Curry, was my jam. It spooked the hell out of me. Messed me up for life, and I still love it. But this right here was really, really good. 
I give my hat. I give my hat. Tip of the hat to them. You, you were like, man, you can't do a reboot. You can't do a reboot. And you're like, uh, if you're gonna do it this good, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've heard from different reactions from from people of over it. Um, I've heard people that liked it and people that didn't like it. One thing that, there were a couple things that they seemed to agree on. One of it was the time. They felt it was too long. Yeah, it was, it was kind of long, but when you think about Tim Curry, I mean, not Tim Curry, when you think about Stephen King movies, do kind of, you can't, you can't do it like a, they're usually TV series, like different part miniseries or whatever. Right. If you put all that together, it's gonna be a long movie because you can't do it like that. I mean, you can't um do a, a Stephen King book or adaptation and say, okay, we're gonna do it. We're just gonna do it one hour and one hour some change. We're just gonna do it two hours some change. No, it's going to be pretty lengthy because there's a lot you got to cover. And if you miss anything, folks are going to be like, you didn't put this in there, or you didn't address this, or you didn't do that. And even if they didn't complain about that, the story wouldn't feel the same with the, with the stuff you missed. Yeah, and you know, the other, the other thing that people seem to agree on, whether they liked it or didn't like it, the casting was not, I mean, obviously, James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain, those two were freaking heavyweights. And I, I was a fan of Jay Ryan from Beauty and the Beast. But the one that sh seemed to shock everybody was Bill Hader. That tripped me out when I found out that he was going to be in there. And that the fact they actually went after him, like, they actually said, yeah, I want you to play... I want you to play him. Like, whoa, time out. You actually went after him? He didn't go audition or anything? That's wild. But it was like, he knew how to be funny when he needed to be, but also knew when to be serious. And he just, like, he was like the big surprise for everyone that I, that I talked to that saw that movie. I didn't have a problem with the casting of the kids. I didn't have a problem with the casting of the adult versions. It was really good. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I mean, Jessica Chastain, I'll pretty much see her in almost anything. And I actually heard the CW is looking to reboot. <laughs> They're going to reboot the old soap opera, Dark Shadows. And here's something I'm sure you didn't know about this. This is actually their second attempt at trying to reboot that old soap opera, but also the the first attempt they made, which it made it to pilot, to pilot, but not to air. The lead actress for the lead female character on that show was actually Jessica Chastain. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, she was, I guess Victoria was the one that she was supposed to play on that, but yeah, it, they made the pilot, but it never made it past that. So, that was kind of crazy, but this is actually, this would actually, if you include that, this would actually be the overall, from any network, third attempt 
to try and reboot that show. Because NBC did it, like, in the early 90s. But, well, it they died... Sure did. It I, died its, I sort of yeah, it died its first season mostly because they lost a lot of viewership due to getting preempted during the Desert Storm coverage. But I remembered that the actor that played Barnabas Collins on that was the same guy that played Spock's father in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, so, but, I mean... You know, the supernatural stuff still sells, so so we'll see how that one fares. But, yeah, like I, like I was saying with Jessica Chastain, I'll watch almost anything with her in it. Although, well, maybe I'll make the exception on Dark Phoenix. It's all about how you do it. Like like you said, the supernatural stuff still sells. It's all about how, how, how well you did. I mean, you do it. Like, if NBC could have pulled it off, like, today, I could see that because they did so well with Grimm, and I could see them pulling it off, so, I mean, and the same thing with CW, they've had so much success with, you know, Supernatural, the Vampire Diaries, the Originals, they've had so much success, I could see them pulling it off. True, and even though, well, there were, I mean, any Supernatural stuff with uh, NBC, there was, I remembered watching that Dracula series they did, you know what, that thing had the bad luck of being on the worst night they could schedule it for, they put it on a Friday night and that didn't do it any favors, but I actually got a kick out of that one. Yeah, Friday was, it was, wasn't a real good night, like, Grimm survived on a Friday, but that was, like, the last couple of seasons, though. Yeah, and also, let's not forget, Friday nights didn't exactly do any favors for Constantine. That, too. Although that one should have been a CW show from the get-go. I, I kind of dug the NBC version, but I don't, but, I, but like I said, it should have been a CW show from Jump Street. It would have got a lot more love as a CW show. Absolutely. But, um... But, you know, so... I've mentioned how I wanted to talk with you about video games, or in this case, video game franchises, that, for whatever reason, you weren't sold on. I know you threw a couple at me. I'm going to throw a couple at you to see whether you, you were a fan of it or not so much. So the first one, I'm going real old school with this one. Castlevania. have a love-hate relationship with because it was one of those first uh, NES titles that my friends were all into. Oh, man, we're going to play Castlevania. Oh, we're going to play Castlevania. And I kind of never got into it. <laughs> I would watch my friends play, but I never got into it. Yeah, I mean, at the time, at my age, when those games were out, it was difficult. I mean, like, I remember playing the... The last one I remember playing was the Super Nintendo one. And I, I just stopped playing halfway through. I was just like, eh, I just... 
I don't know. It just felt like it was doing the same thing throughout the whole game. It's like we weren't beating the it's, we, we weren't beating the door down to go by. Right. None of us. But um, another one I'll throw at, another franchise I'll throw at you. Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden. I I own Ninja Gaiden, so I'm definitely yeah that and Black Manta on NES. Was my jams. That's so yeah, Ninja Guy, and I definitely was into Ninja Guy. I never could beat the final boss in Wrath of the Black Manta. <laughs> you and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Man, that was like almost one, that was one of my top original rage quits. <laughs> yeah. It was just a pain in the ass, that boss. Now, this one luckily didn't become a franchise, but I remember playing it, and for a fighting game, it was pretty weak. Like, the gameplay and the controls, like, you almost couldn't tell what your character that you selected was even doing. Do you remember a game called Pit Fighter? Man, Pit Fighter was so weak. I remember I had the, um, the Tiger electronic handheld version, and it was good for car rides and everything, you know, going on vacation, but Pit Fighter was so weak. I never played, like, I, I didn't even want to play the original version. I seen it, and I was like, man, this game is whack. I don't even know why I bought the uh, the handheld version, because I wanted Street Fighter. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted Street Fighter handheld version, but I ended up getting the Tiger Electronic Pit Fighter. You know, the last Tiger Electronic game that I remember ever playing or owning was Double Dragon. Hell yeah, everybody had Double Dragon. That's one I wasn't going to bring up, because who didn't like Double Dragon? Everybody had Double Dragon. But, um, here's uh, one, I know they made like maybe two or three of them in the arcade, but it was a fighting game I could never get into, Virtua Fighter. Trying to get into Virtual Fighter, I didn't like. Eh. I had a Virtual Fighter poster and everything. I tried. It only, it's only, only because it came with, I think, the magazine I had. Yeah. I, I, I tried to get the Virtual Fighter. I, I tried to get some of the characters they had, and it just, it did like zero for me. Right. Even the sequel. The sequel looked, the sequel looked a little better. It didn't look all crappy, polygonal and stuff. Right. And they it, 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 it cleaned a lot of that up, but it still didn't do anything for me. No, not at all. And, you know, two, two franchises I'll mention. Like, one one of them, I, was able, I liked the first two, but afterwards I kind of lost interest. Sonic the Hedgehog. At least I'm not talking about that horrible movie. Hey, hey, you need a movie. <laughs> They're touching it up. They're doing touch-ups. Oh, thank you. Everybody, everybody went in on, on Sonic the Hedgehog, and they decided they went both it back and started doing touch-ups. Oh, man, the internet is crazy. You know, here's the funny yeah, thing. Sonic, it had nothing to do with... 
sorry, it had nothing to do with the look of Sonic in that movie trailer. The movie just looked horrible. A lot of people were in on Sonic himself. Like, they were kind of into Jim Carrey as uh, Robotnik, especially at the end of it, the, the trailer. But most people were actually going in on Sonic's look. And I'm like, what the hell's the problem? I'm like, maybe it's just my my messed up uh, vision and everything, because I wear glasses. But uh, what's the problem? And everybody was going in on Sonic. Like, for real, going in on him. Well, you know, I have, I mean, my vision isn't great. I wear contacts, if not glasses, but I had them on when I saw uh, the trailer. And, you know, like I said, my issue was definitely not, had nothing to do with Sonic's look. It was just the movie that didn't do it for me. But Yeah, I can see that. But going back to the video game, look, I like, first one was alright, I like the second one, but at three and beyond, I just couldn't get into yeah, anything after that, like, I tried Spinball, and eh, it wasn't, eh, it kind of got me at first, Spinball was kind of fun at first, but it, it, it could only go so far before you just got bored with it. Yeah. But with, Sonic, with the other Sonic games, the, uh, the originals, those were great for, like, long time. Those were like playing Mario Brothers almost. How you, you go through this long journey, can you beat it? You know? And after that, like Sonic and Knuckles and stuff, you're just like... <clears throat> yeah. But the other video game franchise I'm talking about, you know, I know they released a bunch of them, I just couldn't get into it. I was never a fan of Crash Bandicoot. Oh, I wanted to say that too. I wanted to type that in, into that list I uh, sent you. Crash Bandicoot. I never got into Crash Bandicoot. Never. Yeah, and I even just remembered another one that I can think of. Do you remember Streets of Rage? Yeah. You know, truthfully, with that with that franchise, all I could think, if I wanted to play a game like this, I'll play Final Fight. Man, I love Streets of Rage. Me and my friends used to steady, we used to steady play Streets of Rage. Like, we would sit there and, man, play Streets of Rage uh, 2 for the longest. Okay, I'll admit, two, 2 was the better one. I Because I, I liked them adding um, Max Thunder and Skate Hunter. Yeah. Like, I didn't play Streets of Rage 1, but I played 2 and 3, and I liked it. See, I never played. I never played three, but um, it actually just reminded me of another Sega fighting game that I, I tried, but I just didn't care for it. Do you remember a game called Eternal Champions? Oh, that game was so corny. I tried it, man. I tried to get into that. Like back, I used to get like the video game magazines and stuff, and I found out that they were coming out with the game. And then you had the commercials and stuff. I was kind of interested. And then I was like, I wasn't. <laughs> the commercial. I got my Sega rolling. Eternal Champions comes out. I read what it's about. And I'm like, 
No thanks. <laughs> the commercial made the game look cooler than it actually was. Right. But, um... Oh, here's one that I think I know you'll agree with. Just about any attempt at making a Superman video game. And I'm circling all the way back to when Nintendo made that one, that Superman game that was just god-awful. Oh, Lord Jesus. I remember playing, um... The... I think it was the, called The Death and Return of Superman? Yeah. When he had the, I remember that when he one. Had, yeah, they had Cyborg Superman, Steel Superboy, all of them. And you start off getting Molly Wap by Doomsday. Yep. You start off getting Molly Wap by him. I remember playing that. Those Superman games, I don't know what the problem was. Why, why they never can hit the mark on a Superman game. Batman games do pretty good. But Superman games, for some reason... Those are the ones they have trouble with. Yeah, I'll give you the one that was also bad. The one they released on N64. I didn't have N64, but I know what game you're talking about. You basically flew through hoops the whole time. It was just the most irritating thing that I've ever played. It was like, ugh. But yeah, you're right. They can make a good Batman game. ever ever struck gold with was Superman and Injustice. <laughs> yep. That's, that's it. Yeah. But, that's um, all I can think of. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, they made so many good Batman games. I mean, the Arkham series, of course. But, right. You know, I remember playing, like, early PlayStation 2, the Batman Vengeance. I actually liked that game. I mean... Graphics were so-so, but, like, the gameplay and the storyline was what really just knocked it out of the park for me. It's like they don't have any trouble play, like making Batman games, because Batman games are a lot like some of these, you know, one-player, one, uh, one you know, fighting game or one-player, you know, adventure games almost. So it's not a stretch of the imagination just adding Batman, his weapons, his villains, Gotham, and that's, and that's it. With Superman, I don't know why they can't do a decent Superman game. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing for me with most games. I'm a sucker for, if you, if it's got a intriguing storyline that ropes me in, I'm all for it. One I can think of, do you remember the Legacy of Kane series? Yeah, I heard, yeah. Like Soul Reaver, Blood Omen, and even the, the last game they made, Defiance. That whole storyline just roped me in. Especially um, Le uh, Defiance. Because not only did you also play as Kane, you played as Raziel too from, from Soul Reaver. Yeah, I was late to the party on that. Shout out to my old roommate the other day that got me into that. I was late to the party for that because I was like playing like a bunch of other stuff and it really wasn't on my radar. I heard of it, but it wasn't on my radar of stuff I, I got to go and go get. Yeah, and man. And he, had the, he had the game. Yeah, and man, the voice actor that did the voice for Kane, 
man, that dude knew how to deliver some lines. Like, Defiance, when he, uh, the, the sorcerer Mobius pointed his staff at Kane, but it no longer affected him. And he, Kane just says to him, because the vampire heart that belonged to Janos Aldrin that was in Kane was taken out, so it no longer affected him. And Kane just says, I always was considered heartless. It was like very Tim Curry-esque, the voice. So that just that should give you a good enough sign on how good that was. But, you know, one other franchise, you know, with the exception of one, I just couldn't get into it. Final Fantasy. I'm not really a Final Fantasy guy myself. Now, don't get me wrong. The story was pretty... It was pretty good. Because I watched Final Fantasy VII and I watched the... the, the I guess you call it anime mm -hmm. adaptation. Right. Advent Children. I watched that. It was really good. The game, though, Never really got into it. I was late no, for the party with seven. No, but that was the only one I liked. That's the only one anybody really talks about. Yeah, I couldn't get into any other one after that. And I've seen them. I've seen them all. They look so good. Like they look so well did, and the graphics and everything. You were like, wow. If these are anything like Final Fantasy Seven. I'm all here for that. So they introduce these new characters, new heroes and stuff, and you're like, uh, you couldn't really get into it. Yeah. But, um, side note, I just saw this thing off of CosmicBook dot, or dot news, which I don't know if that's a real credited source or not, so take it for what it's worth. They're looking at Vigo Mortensen. To play Doctor Doom. Ooh. If they pull that off, I'm all for it. Ooh, my goodness! I never thought of that. Like a lot of people, like a lot of people go around, you know, trying to cast, you know, amateur cast, uh, Fantastic Four, X Men, all that good stuff. None of us ever said. Ego Mortensen for Dr. Doom. Wow. You know, I think the problem, Doom. though, is that they can never get the origin on how he gets into the suit. That's what the other movies have failed at. Right. I mean, it's always something different. Like, everybody does different or something. So you're going to have to pick an origin and stick with it. At least in the cartoon for Fantastic Four, they had him already in the suit and just explained the origin afterwards. Yeah, and he went back, uh, this is how this is what happened to me. And he told his little story. He told his little backstory. And you were like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have to worry about that. They, I mean, and you just did the origin after he introduced him in the suit and then just let everything else fall into place. Well, riddle me this. Would you like to have a 
standalone Dune movie? Or would you like to have him get his origin and everything in a Fantastic Four movie? Ooh, that's a tough choice. Well, I think in I think I would say just because of all the attempts they've made at doing an origin of the Fantastic Four and doing an origin of Doctor Doom at the same time. Because of that, I would probably say a standalone Doom movie. Right. Because you could make, like, a standalone Doom movie and have it tie in to the Fantastic Four, the MCU, everything at the end. You know how you tidy everything up and and tighten, tighten all the, you know, screws and everything and have it nightly, I mean, neatly tied into a bow at the end of it, bam. How it ties into the rest, to the rest of you know Fantastic Four and the rest of the MCU. You could do a standalone Doom movie and get away with that, especially with Viggo Mortensen. I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely be there for that. Yeah, I mean, but um, but also you can have him how he got into the suit, but also have him do what he did in the comic, conquer his home country of Latveria. Exactly. So you have a story right there. So yeah, I think that would probably work the best. And like you could like you would literally go from Doom as a child to Doom as an adult to Doom conquering Latvia, and you know he's like, okay, what do we do for an encore? Oh yeah, let's conquer the world. Yeah, and you know. Um, the voice of Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four cartoon and also in the episodes of the Incredible Hulk cartoon that he was in. The voice actor for that was the same voice actor that did the voice of Kane in Legacy, the Legacy of Kane series. So if you need an, ex- if you need an example of how, how that voice sounded, that's how. It all comes back around. Be patient. It all comes back around. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so last topic for the night. Kind of had, had a couple of blasts from the past moments. Um, HBO has been playing this movie. I'm, I'm not sure if you'll remember it. Do you remember a movie called The Wizard? Oh, yeah. Or, well, in English, it was basically a product placement hard-on for, for Nintendo. <laughs> it wasn't. Man, you didn't, feel, you didn't feel like it at the time. But when you go back and think about it, like, man, they were trying so hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, the, the Power Glove and just about every Nintendo game you could think of. And... Let's, if you didn't sell Super Mario Brothers 3 and that, to people, you didn't sell anything. <laughs> after that movie came out and they introduced that game, there was, I, that movie was sold out at every Toys R Us you could find for weeks. I could never Bruh. get my hands on that game. Bruh, I remember we completely lost our minds uh, when we saw, when we saw, like, commercials, like, I'll introduce to you Super Mario Brothers 3. We were like, what the hell? 
you can't do that. That's not legal. Yeah. <laughs> is, this, is this guy a magician? What in the hell? And you see Mario with a tail, with a raccoon tail and ears? You're like, what the hell? We all lost our complete, utter mind. That's all we would all talk about. Yep. But... <laughs> But, you know, you want to talk about something that makes you feel old? <laughs> here's, two, here's two videos that I saw of, like, two old cartoon intros. The cartoon for, or, the cartoon for the Ewoks. Ooh, I love the Ewoks cartoon. And also, the cartoon, the, I saw the intro for Droids, a.k.a. The Adventures of C-3PO and R2-D2. Yeah, I used to watch that on Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, I, and and I remembered because um, well, looking back at it, let's face it, they were trying to milk that the Star Wars franchise for everything they could after the Return of the Jedi. You ain't never lying, cause I'm sitting there watching the Joys cartoon. I remember watching it when it was on when they um, brought it back and put it on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I was like. Are we really watching C-3PO and R2-D2 and they're getting passed around from different um, different owner to different owner? And I'm like, well, we're looking at everybody. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, at least it was still Anthony Daniels voicing 3PO. Right. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much if they didn't have that. Look at this knockoff guy that sounded kind of close and you knew it wasn't him but you could tell like you could really tell like you were like that's not that's mm, that guy's different isn't he <laughs> yeah but um yeah I definitely remembered the Ewoks cartoon and um here's another one as kind of a blast from the past here's a little pop quiz for you can you think of a toy from back then that looking back, when you look back at like pictures and stuff now, that the size of the thing was so massive, you're almost glad you never got it? Oh. I'll give you an example. This, this one came to mind. The G.I. Joe USS Flag Aircraft Carrier. I've never had that. I never even came close to having that. Yeah, that's what I meant. It was like I was kind of glad that my parents never got that for me because that thing was so freaking massive. I'll do you one. I'll do you another one. The Death Star. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a. That one's acceptable. They had another one too. Um, for GI Joe. Um, it was I forgot what they called it. The prop the proper name for it, but it was like. The command base. The Cobra Command Base. Oh, the Terror Dome? The Terror Dome. There you go. The Terror Dome. Yep. I remember that. There was also this mobile, like, base thing for G.I. Joe called the G.I. Joe General. I remember asking for it. I never got it. Kind of glad that I didn't. I remember that thing. I remember that from, from the cartoon. Man, that thing was big. And here's one, this circle into the Transformers. Fortress Maximus. 
That name sounds familiar, but I don't remember what it looked like. They advertised it as the biggest Transformer ever, which, tr- while true, that's the problem, because what do you have to... How can you... How can you have anything play against it? Because, like... Because remember when they made the Autobot City and Decepticon City, Metroplex and Trypticon, they were the same size, uh-huh. so you can have them combat with each other. This was supposed to be Scorponok and Fortress Maximus, but you made Maximus taller than Scorponok. Okay, I remember Scorponok, definitely. Um, man. Yeah, that's so... A very, that's a very interesting push, because... Um, I remember when uh, Omega Supreme was the big deal. Yeah. I remember him. Oh, I remember him. I remember, when, I, remember. I remember when he was the big dog. And I remember when the movie came out, I didn't see too much of, of these uh, advertised, but Unicron. Yep. Well, I don't think they made a toy of Unicron until, like, Maybe ten years. Yeah, way later. But um. But you know what? Always never. <laughs> you know, speaking of advertising, you know this always. I couldn't help wondering why they do this. You notice when they had like a commer- like for example, they had, they always had for Metroplex. Its opposition. Was a one of the was a. Com- one of the Decepticon combiners. In this case, it was Bruticus. And then you did the commercial for Trypticon, it was Defensor opposing him. It's like, why are you putting the combiners against the Autobot or Decepticon city when you know the city one is going to kick the crap out of the other one? Pretty much. It's just like, same thing happened with uh, the commercial for Scorponok. The, the one opposing him was Computron. And like, and you even see in the commercial, Computron gets his butt kicked. Yeah, I'd go ahead on and just put him against... I'd go ahead on and just put Metroplex versus, uh... versus Trypticon. Bam, bam, bam. Go ahead on and have... You're basically selling both of them, like, Hey, kid, you like Trypticon? Yeah. Bug your parents to go have a, have a fight to uh, Metroplex. Bam, bam, bam. You're like, whoa, they got both of them in the same commercial. Yeah, the one time, the one time where it was like almost an even matchup, well, two different times. The first was when they did the commercial for the Aerial Bots and the Stunticons, and you had Menasaur and Superion collide. But also, when they did the commercial for Skylinks, and you had him facing facing off with Predaking. Yeah, I see, because because you know, following the cartoon, they all introduced. Got introduced around the same time as each other. The aerial bots came along around the same time as the Stunicons. Same thing with Skylinks after the movie came out. Skylinks got introduced around the same time as the Predacons. So it makes sense to have both of those in the same commercial fighting each other. Well, there was one exception in the cartoon because. They introduced Bruticus first. It wasn't until a couple episodes later before they finally introduced Defensor. Because with, um, 
The Constructicons were by themselves for a long time. Yeah, the only opposition they had was the Dinobots. Right, and they came. They were like they were. They were around like whenever, whenever the Constructicons were getting ready to form. Oh, that was rap. That... <laughs> you were always like, "Well, that was a good episode." Yep. <laughs> but yeah, and, uh, with uh, yeah, with uh, Brood, with the Stunticons. Um, I liked it that because, uh, man, well, no, no, not, not the Stunicons. Uh, the, um, no, Bruticus was the Combaticons, but yeah, you like that, I think I know what you're talking about. But. I, I like the Combaticons because that was, Scott, uh, that was, uh, Star, that was, uh, yeah. Starscream's poor attempt to take over again. Yeah. He actually did something good, but the thing about it was, um, Megatron was like, "Yeah, y'all work for me now." <laughs> yeah, but what I like, what I liked with that episode was, you had Megatron summon or have the con- the Constructicons form Devastator, and then Starscream said he prepared for this and had the Combaticons form Bruticus, and Bruticus actually walloped Devastator. Yes. And then it looked like Megatron ha- he had Megatron beat. Then all of a sudden. You had the Stunticons show up. They form Menasaur and just and just freaking crush Bruticus. That reminds me of like the the Michael Jackson meme with him eating popcorn. That was me. I'm <laughs> 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 not here for this. Yep, but you know I I I once had it. Um, there's like from from Japan this special edition of the Predacons, the action figures. It was like the whole set. And some of it was like diecast metal. Man, it was it was a work. Even when I combined like the the Predacons to Predaking, that thing was a work of art. Man, you know which one I've never seen anybody with, but I've seen like I've seen one person have one of them, but not the whole set. The Terracons. Oh yeah, but you know, the, here's the pet peeve that always bothered me with the Terracons, and uh, specifically Abominus. So, Abominus's head in the cartoon, white face, purple head, and then eyes were red. No problem. Then the figure of him. It was white, white head, purple face, and yellow eyes. I hate to be that nitpicky, but it's like, dude, get it right. Look like somebody did it was colorblind. It's not really being nitpicky when it comes to stuff like that. It's not really being nitpicky. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like whoever made that was colorblind. But that was all, you know, we talked about Starscream creating the Combaticons. Who would have thought the Technobots were created by Grimlock? No, that tripped me out so hard. When, when Grimlock it got smart. Yeah. That tripped me out so hard because I remember missing that episode, and I came in when Computron was already a part of the Autobots. So I went back and I found out, and I seen the episode where Grimlock got smart, and he created. He went to the junkyard and created the uh, Computron, and I was like, "Wait, wait, hold on, time out, flag on the plate. What just happened?" Yeah. I sat there and watched 
I sat there and watched the whole thing, and I was like, bruh, you telling me Grimlock created them? Yep. No way, no. And he used his brain, uh, he put his brain inside a Computron, and he went back to being dummy uh, Grimlock again. Yep. But talk about a brains versus brawn matchup with Computron and Abominus. Right. That's like, it's almost like Computron fighting the, the, the Dinobots, almost. <laughs> yeah. You know what's one action figure, or one Transformers figure? I can't remember me knowing anybody that ever had him. Springer. No. Nobody. Um... A lot of people, had, I had a uh, cousin who had Ultra Magnus. Right. Um, I had another cousin that had um, Rekgar. He had Rekgar, Ultra Magnus, the movie that just came out. And I went to Arkansas visiting my cousins and stuff. He had Ultra Magnus, uh, Rekgar, Rodimus, and Cup. You see, Cup I had. Yeah, I had Cup and I had Rodimus, but no, I never had Ultra Magnus or Springer. In fact, I had a cousin, the only, he was probably the only person that I knew that had any triple changer. And that was, he had Blitzwing. talking about wait triple changer or just a regular tank triple changer that what wasn't that blitzwing yeah that, that might be him yeah he was the jet yeah. in the tank yeah that's him then. yeah yeah that's him yeah because he came after astral trade yeah yeah but yeah any any other triple changer they released after that like um like uh sandstorm broadside or octane never knew anybody that had him Although I did know somebody that had that one, uh, I forget how many forms that one had. I think it was six or seven. Uh, not the, not six shot, but it was the other one, Quick Switch. Oh, I just bought the stats. I thought that's what you was talking about. Yeah, Quick Switch. That, I knew somebody that had him. But, um, but yeah, you know, I have the whole series, of the original series for Transformers, and I gotta tell you, the return of Optimus Prime. Uh, that episode still holds up. Man, that whole, whole that whole series. Because I remember um, it used to come on like super early. And I wouldn't wake up for it. My pops would go ahead and record it for me. Yep. So I'd, I'd, I'd have it on tape. And I would go back and watch it. And that whole series was so good. Yeah. And next thing you know, they brought when they brought Optimus Prime back, I was like, all my feelings. I was like, oh my god, he's coming back! He's coming back! <laughs> yeah. He's coming back to us. Yeah. And even even as a kid, I was like on the edge of my seat when all the 
all the other Transformers were infected by the Spore Plague, and Galvatron was about to strike him down, saying Optimus will die again. And then he op Optimus woke up and opened the Matrix. I was like, oh, thank God. Bro, like, I was like, on the, like you said, I was on the edge of my seat when the, the Spore virus, when you were like, they locked, they locked in the first, the first set of uh, Autobots. Yeah. Everybody got infected. The next thing you know, they, somebody go touch another, somebody else. And somebody would go touch somebody else. And somebody would come close to touching somebody else. You're like, oh, oh, don't do it, don't do it. He's infected, don't touch him, he's infected. It was so good. Yep. You were like, don't touch him, he's infected. Ah, oh, you got him, you got him, you got him. Oh, yeah. man. And when Galvatron was fighting his own men, and they were like, geez, they're crazier than Galvatron is. Yeah, you know, you know, that's, you know, I could never get behind Galvatron. Megatron was always better. He was more calculating and devious and stuff. Galvatron was right. just bat out of hell crazy. Right, Megatron, he was just in his bag. Like, he was like the, the, the villain you knew good then. Well, you didn't like Megatron, but you... But you kind of was like, I like Megatron. I like his moxie. <laughs> yeah. When Galvatron, when, when he turned into Galvatron, he just wanted to punch Galvatron in the face. He was like, he was like, dude, you just don't care. You shoot anybody. Yeah. You're like, you don't care. Little Lord Galvatron, all hell, bam. I was like, whoa. I said, He's not gonna be in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> they say, Galvatron, we follow you. Yeah. Damn, don't shout. Like, and you know, I know they did that three parter after the episode with Prime's return, but you know, if you had ended it with just that whole thing with Prime returning and curing the spore plague, because of that one scene where Galvatron shakes his hand saying, There'll be no war today. You earned my respect. And just seeing that closing shot with the Autobots rolling out with, with Optimus back, that had all the feels watching that. Right. But, um, but you know, the, I got to tell you, the, I had, before that one, the only other time I liked a series of Transformers as much was Transformers Prime. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, first off, you killed off Cliffjumper in the first episode, and it was voiced by The Rock, no less. And that was the trip part, because I was like, not, I'm a long time Cliffjumper fan. Yeah. You don't know how, you don't know how far I go back with Cliffjumper. Cliffjumper was my dude in series one. Yeah, but you know, um, with, with the the Prime series, like, they they didn't shy away from the fact it was a war, and they were not shy of killing people off. And it definitely hit you, there were moments where it definitely hit you in the heartstrings with that one. No, they did not shy away from that. <laughs> the, the final season of it, when Optimus was dying, and it looked like he was about to join the Matrix, 
and Smokescreen said, this isn't how it's supposed to end. And he used the Forge of Solus Prime to restore Optimus. And then the next part, the Autobots are about to be executed, but then you see something fly in the air. And you see that when it finally shows that it's Optimus, I remember jumping out of my seat screaming, He's alive! And then just how when they, they hear from Ultra Magnus that Optimus is alive, and they all start fighting back, I'm like, damn. But the other one that really hit you, that really hit me was the episode where you thought Bulkhead was going to die. Because of how he bonded with that little girl. Like, yeah. that really hit you. Like I said, it was really done. It was really done well, especially with all the hits and misses they had in between, uh, in between the years. But also the one where I was just left in awe was when Ratchet explained why Bumblebee couldn't talk and what Megatron did to him. I was just like, Jesus. That he ripped, it was kind of like what happened in the Bumblebee movie, that they, he ripped his voice box out. Mm-hmm. But then the part in that where they, find, they put Bumblebee's damaged T-Cog back in him, and he's trying to transform, but he can't. And you're just, for that moment, you're just watching that thinking, oh, no. And then when he finally transforms, you're just like, oh. I was just like, all right, B. See, I, I didn't love Bumblebee near as much until the movie and in Transformers Prime. It's like, I always liked Bumblebee, like the original Bumblebee and stuff. But then when they did this this uh, version of Bumblebee, you kind of bothered with him a little bit more. Yeah, for a long time he was the reason that character was the reason why I wanted to own a Camaro. <laughs> but I got off of that dream just because, well, I sat in one and not very comfortable. <laughs> You're like, man, y'all make this look so good on, in the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, it was too boxed in. I can believe that. Like, when I'm trying to look at the side mirror, like I try to lean down to see it, I hit my head on the door frame. I'm not even making that up. That's how bad that was. Like I said, I can definitely believe that. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about video games earlier. Here's, here's one more pop quiz to throw at you. Your favorite of the Mario franchise, Zelda, and or, I'll just throw this in for the hell of it, the Ninja Turtle franchise, favorite game out of those? Out of all of them, or just each one? Like, each one. Okay, um, Mario, it's always been Mario 3 for me. Um, even though I can go back and play the, the Mario 1, Mario 2 is kind of obscure. I played it when I uh, had a sleepover with, uh, by a friend's house. He had Mario 2. Nobody else I knew had Mario 2. Nobody. Yeah. That was the first time I ever seen anybody with Mario 2. But we all had Mario 3. So that was kind of weird. I played Mario 3 before I played Mario 2. But, yeah, Mario 3 is my favorite of the Mario franchise. Um, Let's not forget Mario that, World, Super Mario World. 
I didn't have a sixty. Uh, I didn't have a Super Nintendo, but I played it like a million times. I used to go to Sears just to play, uh, play uh, which we call Super Mario World. No lie. Whenever we go to the mall and we go to Sears, I would go by the video games and just play, just play Super Mario Bros. Sit there until it was time to leave. Well, like really. Well, let let me correct. It's that I it had Mario World had its moments, but in terms of overall challenge, you can't beat what Super Mario Three had. Right, Mario Three is the piss. Ooh man, Mario Three is the piss me off. And then, like, you would always learn something. If I didn't learn something from one of my friends, I would learn something on my own, and, and he would learn how to uh, warp. From, from and skip from one board to another. And you're like, how the hell did you do that? Oh, yeah, you just go ahead and do this, do this. Wow, okay. And then the little mini games. The mini games were so fun, but so frustrating at the same time. Yep. Or what about this? When you, If you have a P-Wing and you use that to fly over like to the very top in that level with the sun attacking you? Yeah. Yeah, then I remembered the P wing. I was like, oh, so that's how you do it. Just fly over it, or it like, or it like, it like fly over till you're not shown on the screen. And then you reach the end, and then you fly down. And like the Doom ship was the coolest thing ever. Oh yeah, it it just added so much more with it. I mean, like I said, the overall challenge, the variation, the long, the length of the game, it was unmatched. Fighting the Koopa Kids to be so fun but so frustrating at the same time. We used to sit there and cheer each other like, You're right, bastard! <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're right, bastard! Yeah, because each <laughs> one got harder and harder. Do it again! Jump on him again! Jump on him again! Or, watch out for the ring! Watch out for the ring! Watch out for the ring! No, no, don't hit the ball! <laughs> Dude, when you would go into uh, the castle... And they would have that blue uh, block with the spikes on it. Oh, the thwomps, yeah. That was crazy. Oh, I hated that thing. What, why are you going to wait till I pass? Why are you going to wait till I pass the thwomps? You fool, you rat bastard. <laughs> and you couldn't shoot fireballs or nothing? Nothing hurt those damn things. Nope. Nope. Couldn't touch it. What about the levels with that big fish that could actually swallow you? That was what annoying. That was, yeah, that, but, yeah. The ghost would stand perfectly still until you got too close, and then it would start circling around. Yeah. Like, I, I wasn't going to do you nothing, man. Might got to come mess with me. <laughs> yeah. But, um, all right, so what about for the Zelda franchise? I think it's almost a consensus that, the Ocarina of Time was like a lot of people's favorite. Yeah. Like what? Once we got out of once we got off the NES, uh, and they started um, doing um, Zelda again, I was like, I would go to our friend's house and play to play Zelda, and like, I was like a I wasn't a big Zelda. 
NES kind of killed me. It was like, I wasn't really into RPGs at first. And I played those. I played the first two on NES. And then I stopped. Because I can never beat it. <laughs> I didn't like part two. They tried a different approach with it, but it just didn't work for me. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the first thing I noticed about it. That's another thing that killed it for me, other than the fact that I couldn't beat it. So, yep. my friend had uh, uh, Ocarina of Time. I was like, I don't know, man. I've got a long, I've got a long, you know, history with, with you know, Zelda. Yeah. I don't know, man. And I watched him go through it and play, play for a while. And I was like, let me get a run at this. Oh, it looks kind of fun. Let me get a run at this. So that that ended up being like my favorite one, like because I didn't have many. <laughs> um, Ninja Turtles. Look, the arcade game. I don't know if you count that, but arcade version. Oh, it counts. It counts. I mean, I liked the. I like the ones that came after the first one because the first one was such a pain in the butt. It was. Oh man, that thing. Man, I remember my friend had had that um, had the first Ninja Turtles. We always go out of his house play. Um, or and that game was so hella frustrating. That freaking level with the bombs in the at the dam. Oh god. And then the part where it's surrounded oh, by the ones that shock that. you. Ugh, that was a pain in the butt. But, um, the arcade game was good. Even the third one, Manhattan Project, was decent. Manhattan Project was really good. I, I remember I read that. And I loved I didn't want to bring it back. I was like, man, this, I didn't think it was going to be that good. And it was pretty good. Um, Turtles in Time had its moments, played. too. Yeah, Turtles in Time was alright. I, I, I was going to mention that. Turtles in Time was pretty good. Um, playing the arcade game, we used to go to, we used to go to, the first time I played that was at Chuck E. Cheese, and they had so many people surrounding me, and we're like, what the hell, you saw, ooh, Ninja Turtles, and you're like, everybody was all into it, everybody wanted to run at it, everybody was cheering each other on and stuff, and you're like, oh, somebody come join in, somebody come jump in. And you go grab your quarter and jump in, and it was so good. It was so fun. Like, the co-op games were so fun. Like, you could, you could join in. Like, like with NES, you only had, like, one or two players. Same thing with Sega. You only had one or two players. But with the co-op, you know, at the arcade, you got four dudes and you're all going hard and you're all teaming up. Help me out, help me out, help me out. Come join in, somebody come up. And everybody come join in. It was so fun. And then, not only that, but the gameplay was fun too. I remembered uh, my brother and I were playing that game. It was at a liquor store. And got to the point, and this is the one I wish was in the Nintendo one, but it wasn't. When you got to the level to rescue April and you have to fight both Rocksteady and Bebop at the same time. And they were both flashing and they both charged at my brother and I. We jumped out of the way. They run into each other. It took them both out. 
I mean, that I, that was awesome. But, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was like after the first one and how frustrating that was, I think I'd set the bar pretty low to where there was no way any other game after that could get worse. <laughs> like I said, the game, it had a dope soundtrack. And the only thing was, it was like, hella frustrating, man. Even when I had that, you remember uh, that Game Genie? It helped get past that level at the dam, but then you get to this part at the airport, there's like a fire pit you're trying to cross, but when you fall over, like, all of a sudden, like, your character is frozen there, like, it can't kill you, but your character is frozen and can't move, and pretty much, you're screwed and you gotta start the game all over again. I hated that. It's like, I, I got the game genie to try and end the frustration, not make it worse. But, yeah, I mean, and, but, yeah, I mean, arcade game and Manhattan Project, as an honorable mention, but overall, the arcade game, you know, that was hands down the best one. If they ever, if they were to come out with a Ninja Turtles, like, game, like, right now, I'd be for that, like, especially since they put them in Injustice as DLC. I'll be down for them coming out with a a, a, a co-op, you know, Ninja Turtle game for, you know, the console. They should do that. Especially with online gaming and stuff now. So you don't necessarily have to play at your house. You can play with other people. And you can have, like, what, either two-player, two four-player, stuff like that. That'd be pretty dope. Yep. Yeah, man, we're old for remembering crap like this. <laughs> I mean, I watch, like I said, when I watched the intro for the Ewoks cartoon, I was like, God, I feel old. That, 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 that uh, cartoon, like, was hella old. The droids, the droids one was almost older than me, almost. And if memory... I felt like it was older than me, at least. And if memory serves, I think the Ewoks one outlasted droids. Droids only lasted a season. Ewoks at least went two. Popularity-wise, I liked the Ewoks more than I liked the droids. Yeah, I think at least... I think the whole, like, different owners every now and then for R2 and 3PO, I think that was kind of hard to really accept. That's what got me, because one, 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 you would have one guy, next thing you know, you would have somebody else the next, the next season, like, uh, 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 you're trying to get attached to these characters and stuff, I understand it's C-3PO and R2-D2, but you're also starting to get attached to these people, too. Yeah, I know what you mean on that one. Alright, well... Gonna wrap this up tonight. Any final thoughts for or any final thought for the night, T five? Oh no, man, I'ma call it a night. Yeah, I know what you mean on that one. Um Yeah, well, okay, I got one final thought. Only a week away till the new Rambo. Enough said. Ooh, ooh that's 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 good. Oh, oh, let me throw one thing out there. Sure. If you if you have anything 
if you, if you, I don't know if you, if you're still reading or anything, but the Avinon, uh, House of X and Power of X or Power of Ten, it's an X-Men book. Yeah. The current X-Men book. And it is so good. Uh, All right. I'll, I, I'll keep my I eyes tell good. everybody I get a chance to, it's so good. From Jonathan Hickley. His power is power of uh, 10. It's, it says power of X, but it's really power of 10. And house of X. And they're like, they're kind of handcuffed. The, the both books are kind of handcuffed for each other. All right. That, that definitely, I'll it's check that out. Like, almost like, it's not a soft reboot of the X-Men, but it's kind of like, Telling a story that's gonna set things up for where they go for where they go forward with the franchise. Alright. Yeah, I'll definitely keep my eyes peeled on that one. Alright, so with that being said, people, we're gonna wrap things up tonight. We'll be back next time. In the meantime, he's T he's Travis T five Smith. I'm Sean Williams. This has been Variety Bites and people, we out of here. Trust in my powers right from me. Just like a criminal But I won't have it I'm not flying into your arms